0: Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Scott Luton and special guest host Constantine Lembrakis with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream, Constantine. How you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Good weekend. Uh, got a great show teed up here today. Uh, are you ready? And, and of course, we should say Constantine, uh, aka Dino. You know, there's a few other nicknames, <laughs> right?
1: The pseudonyms that you are famous for. <laughs>
0: Cheesy, hokey, whatever y'all to call me, but um, Greg White is on a very studious assignment. Don't you think, Constantine?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say Europe is always studious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, safe travels wherever Greg may be, and uh, we'll welcome him back in a week or so. All right, so Constantine, we got a lot to get to here today. Uh, Of course, it's the Supply Chain Buzz a live show that comes at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time. As always, we're going to be uh, discussing a wide variety of news and developments uh, really across the global business scene. And, Constantine, on a a much more serious note, we have a special guest joining us about right around 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time today. As Mary-Kate Saliba will join us uh, to discuss the ongoing disastrous scene in Guam and how you can help Constantine, that was um, already in the green room in the pre-show. She shared some eye-opening observations, huh?
1: Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the situation there, like in any place when there's a natural disaster, it's terrible, you know, especially when it's something that's related to the United States and raising awareness, I think, is key. So I think you're doing a great job in helping promote that.
0: Well, and Constantine, we're going to touch more on that. That awareness piece is so key. And you know, some things when you type in topic in Google or your favorite search engine, you get hundreds of recent news stories to inform you and and give you information, or whatever. And then others, you do the same thing, and there is just a dearth of information, especially timely, recent information. So uh, y'all stay tuned about twelve thirty as Mary Kate Saliva joins us um, here. Okay, and finally, hey. We want to hear from you all as well. So as we see Sushil and Jacob and and others, please share your comments, your take, you name it, in the cheap seats. And we're going to be sharing that um, throughout the conversation here today. And, Constantine, if folks are listening to this podcast replay, maybe they ought to consider joining us live here on LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever other social media channel of your choosing is. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Constantine. what is your favorite social media site, channel, platform?
1: Um, I don't know. I I'd have to probably say LinkedIn part of it because I remember joining this back in the day, it was like two thousand six or something, way before yeah. anybody had really thought of it. And I was thinking it's a great way to to share your profile. It became the digital resume. And I now think it's just the the status quo, right? So I in is it is it a true social media, I guess. I don't know how you define that, but to me that and obviously, Twitter—it's that's taken its whole thing. But I think LinkedIn for me.
0: Well, yeah, the term social media has evolved tremendously mm-hmm. since the beginning, whenever that was, and continues yeah. to evolve tremendously. But uh, LinkedIn is—that's where most folks join us uh, for the buzz each week. So I think that's probably you're in—you uh, get you're in a, a big crowd that perhaps put LinkedIn atop their social media favorites. All right, hey. We've got, speaking of which, we got, as I mentioned, we have Sushil tuned in. Hey, let us know where you're tuned in from. Of course, you're via LinkedIn, so great to have you here today. We've got uh, Jacob from Mombasa, Kenya, also via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Jacob. Uh, We have got Jose. Jose, great to see you. Jose Montoya from Southern California, I believe. Jose, and uh, also has a great show. On Supply Chain and Logistics. You ever caught any of his uh, content yet, Constantine?
1: No, but I've definitely been interested to do so. So send that over. Take
0: got a look. to. That's right. Uh, let's see here. Prof Tiwi. I, th- I hope I got that right. If I didn't, let, let us know. We're like It's important to get names right. Uh, as I like to tell folks, my last name is Luton, but it's been pronounced, at least on the first day of school for my entire life, Lutton. Right, And that's always seared a need to get everyone else's name right. So Prav Tiwi, great to see you here via uh, LinkedIn from Indonesia. All right, so Constantine, we're going to share a couple of quick resources with folks. Give me one. So you're uh, Chicago's home base. Yes. Is it still kind of cool in Chicago here in the first week of June?
1: We have reached the uh, turning point in Chicago's weather where now everybody's out and you've seen your neighbors for the first time in in months <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, it, there's like a phenomenon in Chicago where like, you don't see people for months, and then all of a sudden, everyone comes out. The barbecues have started. And the other thing that we always say in Chicago is there's two seasons, winter and construction. <laughs> We're not kidding. It's all the potholes that they're filling in because of all the salt that we get. So,
0: Hey, I, I believe it. Uh, I experienced some of that. Uh, I think when yeah. Clay and I, I headed up in Chicago, coming back and forth to the airport, we hit. In fact, coming back from the airport, as we were um, trying to arrive uh, on time to get through security and all, our Uber driver was driving a, a Tesla
1: mm-hmm.
0: and said he had like one hour of battery life. I looked at Clay. I'm like, man, what does that mean? And are we going to make it? <laughs> <So> <laughs> rest assured, Clay made sure we got there. But uh, anyway, and this is, uh, so I think this is, uh, and big thanks to Amanda Catherine behind the scenes. Supply chain now, probably Amanda says, that's funny, Constantine. Atlanta has two seasons, but they're summer and construction. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, yeah. agreed. Um, all right, so let's change gears. And I want to add something over the the, the weekend. So, so with that said, Folks, y'all may have seen this a uh, time or two. I think this was episode 36 of our LinkedIn newsletter. And uh, we really focused, Constantine, on finding great ideas amidst all the noise. There's tons of noise out there, right? Tons of noise. So we we offered a, a really interesting, uh, probably seven or eight item list, uh, along with a few other things. So Did you happen to catch that, Constantine?
1: Uh, not this time around, but I'm going to definitely look at it in the next one.
0: All right, so Dino, we're gonna have to start giving you a homework list uh, yes. on Fridays before the buzz. Now, For check sure that not. out. In fact, hey, Amanda and Catherine are making it easy on us. We got the, yes. the link here. Folks can check it out and y'all tell us what you think. We've um, had a lot of interesting feedback, Constantine. As we've had uh I think we're approaching twenty-two thousand subscribers. How about that? Oh wow. It's impressive. All right, going back to Jacob and social media. Jacob says he thinks by far, LinkedIn is his favorite social media platform because it's easier to organize, have quality circle meetings, right. where we can interact and share our views on the development of our work as a team. Jacob, I love that um, that real practical use of social media, Constantine.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I actually discovered one day when I was doing a meeting with some colleagues uh, back in the day in Munich uh, is you can actually do meetings through through LinkedIn too. So there's a lot of things that they're developing on that platform. And the other thing that I like about it is the LinkedIn learning. Mm. Um, I've talked to people where they're leveraging that now in, in the format, ongoing certification and learnings. And so right, it's really become, so, so that's my point is, is what is social media, it's just a platform for everything. So it's, it's, it's cool.
0: I, agreed. <laughs> and Jonathan, long time uh, member of our community, Echoes what you're saying and learn. Yeah. And yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Learn, learn, learn. Jonathan, I hope this finds you well. And you can tell with his certifications, Jonathan is a constant active lifelong learner. Hope this finds you well, Jonathan. Now, Catherine says, TikTok is her favorite. Uh, I think I tried to click. Well, you know what? I'm not going to tell myself I'm still, uh, <laughs> I'm still evaluating TikTok. How about you. Dino.
1: I am absolutely the same. I, I, I've tried to look at it and I said, you know what, I, just, I don't know. Maybe it's a generational thing, you know, it's right. the next thing, but it, no, <laughs> it exploded too well. Well,
0: I'm going to stick on that learning opportunity you mentioned, because I want to yeah. make sure folks are aware. So tomorrow we have got an, another live session, a dedicated live session. Get this. I love this title. Faster, cheaper. Better, We're going to be addressing ideas to make that happen, especially in the manufacturing space. So, hey, sign me up. Faster, cheaper, better. Uh, Constantine, it uh, always reminds me of um, the six – remember the old show, The Six Million Dollar Man? Of
1: course. Steve Austin.
0: What do you think inflation has taken that price to?
1: Six million dollar man. I don't
0: know. Maybe 79. Probably so. Probably so. But folks, uh, be sure to join us tomorrow. We're going to make it really easy. I'm joined by my uh, dear friend, special co-host Allison Giddens, and we've got the link to this uh, live stream with our friends from SAP and Deloitte right here, one click away, right there in the chat. Um, Okay, and our friend Constantine Gino Pledger is here, the pride of North Alabama. Hope this finds you well, uh, Gino, via LinkedIn. Um, All right, so Constantine, it is time to get to work. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Uh, and again, folks, we're going to we're gonna tackle a couple of news stories on the front end of the buzz here today. And then about 1230 or so, maybe a little bit before, we're going to welcome in uh, Mary-Kate Saliba. And we're going to be talking more about Typhoon Mawar and its uh, disastrous impact uh, across uh, Guam and elsewhere. So uh, join us for that and especially how you can help. That's really, really important. Um, all right. So, Dino, let's get started here. Our first story. So... Yeah. First story here, we're talking about the lithium battery industry, but this is actually, I think this is going to be a different take with some optimism. Don't let us lose you yet. Uh, This comes from our friends at the Wall Street Journal. Now, I'm going to open this, Constantine, before I get your take, with a couple of did you knows. The first did you know, 92% of the world's lithium supply comes from three countries, Australia, Chile, and China. Also did you know, Demand for lithium batteries is projected to increase by almost six times by 2030, when that market, the the battery market, should reach $52 billion. So with all of that demand, and and really uh, not quite a monopoly, but with so much of it coming from just three countries for uh, a variety of reasons, folks may be surprised to hear one new source being examined that might help build more batteries. So, Constantine, tell us more.
1: Well, I think, you know, what you're saying here, uh, Scott, it just rings true of the question of lithium. And, you know, we all know that lithium is a main crucial component for uh, electric vehicles, for the batteries, because we're wondering uh, why is there just sudden increase. And, you know, a lot of companies are researching and exploring kind of different ways or unconventional ways of looking at, uh, mining or extracting that now. And um, one of the ways they're doing that, and again, I'm not an expert in this topic, but the idea behind where they've mined for these traditionally has now come fast forward to say, well, we might have a different way of doing something that we've used in the past. I think the one thing that the article points out is that they're looking at oil and gas reservoirs to meet this demand. So if you imagine when you're extracting oil. And in the past, they would have uh, a lot of, you know, residual minerals from these uh, areas of where they were extracting these from. And now they're saying, Hey, this might be, there might be some technologies that we could apply or new approaches. We can actually make more use of this. And they call these, they call this brine. If you think like brine with salt water, if you take a brine uh, of other things, right. And the reservoirs that, that contains lithium has a huge opportunity that to go back where they might have already taken the oil out, And I think one of the main points they're making in the article is that there's two traditional ways of extracting lithium. Right. One is that they were saying is this, this uh, rock of, of mining, and that's where a lot of that's being done in, in China, where there's this concern over a lot of the chemical waste that's produced from the traditional way of doing it. Sure. Um, and there was a certain word that I found, I want to make sure I get it spelled right. So for those <laughs> geologists that are out there, cause there are majors in geology, I think it was called Spodumine. spodumene, hard stod- rock okay. mining of lithium. So that was one source. And that was the big issue was creating chemical waste. The other is, is called solar evaporation. And this is where they kind of take the mine and they, they, it, the, I guess it, there's an evaporation process But the problem that they've talked about there is that there's often uh, issues because of water scarcity and there's low recovery rates Mm. of the lithium. So they're talking about this new method in using and they're calling it direct lithium extraction. And it's a process of removing the lithium, as we were talking about before, from the oil field brine, and that it allows us to be uh, more effective in using had multi-case purposes of when you're doing it memorial extraction now to also. Do. So, so it's kind of an interesting, I guess, development where they're trying to apply these technologies to improve stuff that they've already had started.
0: I love it. What a great article. Uh, and, and, and I think uh, some newer spins on industry that everyone knows is, is, um, is growing left and right because of all the yeah. demand from a variety of different reasons, EV and beyond. But the, to, to uh spike the football on a couple of points you made. Um, this direct extraction that you're, you're talking about, it can be cleaner. They're still, you know, working on a variety of applications. It can be cleaner, it can produce a much higher yield. One, one part of this, uh, and I'll pull the article back up again from our friends at Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. uh, talks about how concentrating lithium in brine ponds can take, you know, a year and a half, and it can only recover sometimes about 50% of the lithium and some of the brine some of the direct extraction that you're referring to and what the whole article is focused on could offer a recovery and yield as much as 90% and be cleaner and the other thing that all of course if this all pans out no pun intended uh, you probably can't pan for lithium but um <laughs> if all this stuff pans out um imagine how we can really spread out lithium production and and spread out you know embrace it more across north america is almost like a byproduct of oil and gas, or yeah, um, you know, we'll see kind of how the back and forth goes. But I thought this was a, a great, innovative, uh, interesting read, and looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think part of it too is is that it provides another use case for the petroleum industry as they're already doing this. They're now going to be able to apply another, and we're talking about revenue, right? So. Rather than making this a compliance issue and a forced issue from a regulation, mm. they're finding innovative ways to apply things that they've already been doing and using that with the innovations that are happening with this EV. Th- that's, I think, a great aspect to this. The Agreed. problem, one of the challenges, I think, too, that we do need to call out is that often the adoption of this is very tailored depending upon what is in this brine, like mm. what the residuals are, and. They're, they have to fine tune it, so we would almost call it a bespoke process, depending upon where you're. We're trying to apply this direct lithium extraction, and uh, that might have a higher operating cost for 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 that because of the way that. The, and this is still a developing technology, but again, because of the interest, we know that money comes in. Innovation creates new ways and better ways, and. That could is as I think what makes this exciting, rather than relying on the three countries you mentioned and uh, approaching it in a way that's more sustainable. So you're right, killing many birds with one stone. I don't know if that's PC to say.
0: Or, or, <laughs> don't kill my birds, Dino. Don't kill my birds, man.
1: I know, hey. we are both bird people, as we discovered
0: yes. last week. Correct. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I uh, really enjoyed that conversation too. Hey, uh, but but kidding aside. Yes. Um, That's an excellent point. And as uh, Gino says, definitely value add for petroleum suppliers. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. But what is inarguable is that 6x growth in demand. There's This is going to be the first probably of many and many of creative and entrepreneurial <laughs> and innovative ways at, me, at at helping to meet that demand. Tons right. and tons, whether you like it or not, tons and tons of money can be made. Uh, in that, in the, in the battery business for sure. Um, okay. And by the way, Masawer, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Hello. Welcome back after joining, uh, after a long time, he says, uh, but Hey, getting back to the article, don't take our word for it. Check it out for yourself. Let us know what you think. we got a link to it right there in the chat. Okay. So Constantine, are you ready to dive into the second topic yes. here today? All right. So let's talk ports and freight and shipping and all kinds of stuff here. So, uh have you been keeping your eye Constantine on what's going on on the West Coast? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you know, it's I guess the largest uh, ports that we have, right?
1: You have got all the ports that are there, like Los Angeles, Long Beach, Oakland.
0: So all the all the cool kids. So, yes. <laughs> Constantine, I want to talk let's talk about what's going on there. So, negotiations continue between Longshore Workers Union, and the port operators up and down the West Coast, to your point. As supply chain dive reports, now five ports in California and Washington experienced issues as they didn't meet normal operations last week, at least as recently as Friday, uh, due to some degree of a workforce shortage. The Port of Oakland, in particular, is reported to have suffered the biggest disruption of all. And on Friday, its international terminals were closed throughout the day. So a lot of eyes will be on the West Coast ports today to see if operational issues continue while the negotiators fight to get a deal done. One last point, Constantine, before I get your take here. The uh, longshore workers unions say it is nothing intentional and deliberate. A lot of folks don't take their uh, statements to the bank. We'll see. But, Constantine, what, your take on what's going on here uh, on the West Coast ports.
1: Well, I I think – And just reading that article and just kind of some of the others that were related to it um, is that it it goes back to, I think it even kind of goes back to the COVID and the labor shortage and the pressures that these longshoremen are feeling in terms of trying to turn things around. This might go back to the question of automation versus human labor and all that. But, you know, because of those pressures, these people are feeling the strain of, of more work with less people it's a dynamic that we're experiencing in a lot of other industries that are labor intensive. And, um, you know, it, they have, there's a lot of pressure that needs to be put here because that could put a stranglehold as we noticed from COVID, um, on the ability to bring material and and finished product, uh, to, to the United States. So, um, the other thing I, I heard is because of some of these disputes There have even been some shipping that has gone around and avoided the West Coast and gone on into under the East Coast. So it's interesting uh, where this development might take shape. You know, I'm sure they're going to resolve it at some point, but does this require some kind of executive intervention at some point? Does it get that serious? I don't know, but this, this is this is kind of the bullwhip effect, COVID. I don't know if you want to use that appropriate term but that yeah. might be a residual of what we're still seeing from that
0: yep and you know um you know, I, you know we've been talking about um the 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 port uh volumes and and the shifts for years now that the, what you, you brought up there um because you know one coast's loss is oftentimes another coast's gain. You know, Port of Houston, the Gulf ha- has uh, has grown dramatically. Uh, the Charleston port in South Carolina, of course, uh, the Savannah ports here and the ports of Georgia, um, you know, and, and many others. But the interesting thing here uh, is what I've, I've also heard, what maybe the article touched on and and certainly other news reporting touched on is, you know, a lot of folks are looking at those big profits over the last couple of years that, that the shipping oh, companies right. uh, have made. And want a piece of that? To your point, Constantine, because of all the work and 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 how those incredible people kept things going. Uh, but if Greg was here, because we've had this conversation before, he would also point to the lean years <laughs> you know, when there's when that profit looks a lot different, and how no one wants part of that, right? So, uh, of course, not making light of um, of the labor negotiations, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what plays out as we try to keep all of our ports moving which, of course, keeps, keeps consumers, keeps families, and keeps the economy moving. Your last thought, uh, Dina, before we uh, change gears quite a bit here.
1: Well, I think part of the thing that we need to, to consider here is just the wider macroeconomic dynamics of, of inflation, right? Of how different supply chains are. I mean, if COVID was that pivotal moment that we're going to remember in the history books, uh, of where we were in a historical low inflation for how many years, uh, we didn't even think about we didn't even think about how these things came here. The offshoring, the China manufacturing, we know there's jobs that were lost as a result of manufacturing. But now we're seeing other uh, incidents or other related factors because of of that, and with the increase in costs of energy, with the increased costs of labor in labor force in the cost of inflation in general, this has created a new level of attention. Is this a repeat of the 70s? I, mm. I mean, it's not the same. There's no way the same dynamics uh, because of technology and other things, but that's where you we need to like kind of consider this. Is this the new gold? Is supply chain in this sense now so critical and so important because of how quick things need to happen mm. that we need to take more attention to this issue?
0: Excellent, uh, excellent point, uh, Dino. Um, all right, so, folks, again, uh, we have dropped a link to uh, one of these latest updates right here uh, from our friends at Supply Chain Dive. And who knows, maybe there'll be some breaking news today or this week uh, as uh, the negotiations are still underway. Um, all right, so, shifting gears, uh, Constantine. Uh, so, you know, it's been heartbreaking to see the disaster caused by Typhoon Mawar. In fact, uh, it's been From what I've seen, uh, reported the strongest storm to hit Guam in at least 20 years, Constantine. Man. So for more on this disaster, including some ways you can help, I want to welcome in a very special guest, uh, part of the Supply Chain Now family, Mary-Kate Saliva, host of our Veteran Voices series. Mary-Kate, good morning. Uh, I hope this finds you well in light of uh, what we're going to be talking about here in a minute, but great to have you here today.
2: Thank you so much. Hi, Scott. Hi, Constantine.
0: Well, hey, you know, we've known you for a long time, um, fellow veteran. And if I get this wrong, my apologies. I think you're still serving the U.S. Army Reserve. Is that right, Mary-Kate?
2: That's right. Yes, Scott. Mm Mm-hmm
0: heart of a servant leader. Uh, I admire all the different ways that uh, that you give back and give forward, as we call it here. Of course, you host our, our Veteran Voices uh, programming and uh, in about a year and a half ago founded the Guam Human Rights Initiative. So you're doing so much good work here. But tell us about, uh, as we get started, tell us about your special ties to Guam.
2: Yes, and I appreciate you inviting me in on such short notice, Scott, to be able to support those impacted in Guam by this super typhoon. And uh, so my ties to Guam, I'm actually a Chamorro descent, so my family is there now, and um, even my, my in-laws, but my immediate family and my friends are still in Guam, and I also graduated from the University of Guam. Uh, so my co-founder, Dr. Erica Anderson, we're both graduates of the University of Guam, and it really means a lot to us to be able to, to have started the Guam Human Rights Initiative uh, the intention the of that was to really highlight human rights issues impacting Guam and the region. And so now, since the Super Typhoon, to be able to to give back at this time means a, a great deal to us.
0: Really, on behalf of our entire Supply Chain Now team and, and extended family, um, you know, prayers, best wishes. Thank I
2: hope you.
0: We, you know, we get the recovery uh, going fa- even faster, uh, and, and I appreciate how you're reacting, like, basically overnight, if not, you know, same hour to help out. We'll touch on that here momentarily. But Constantine, before we before Mary-Kate shares more about um, what she's hearing from her family and what she's seen and hearing across Guam, you know, uh, times like this is how we've got to come together and how you know, the supply chain community is usually in a good spot, a special spot to actually help in, in bigger ways than many other parts of global business. Your, your initial thoughts here, Dino. Yeah,
1: I, I think you know it's great that we're able to use this platform as a way to get a great attention to the issue um you know as a as a territory it's a part of the united states um you know it's sad that we haven't heard more about it and and understanding what we can do to help uh, i think these are this is a similar situation that happened when was in puerto rico which is much closer to the continental united states but i think this is something that we just need to raise our awareness out because it's just so important so devastating and as climate change is, is sometimes causing some of these hurricanes, and, and I think they call them typhoons, I guess, on the, on the west side and hurricanes on the east side, that this is something we just need to be more aware of. And how can we help prevent or, or do more for the folks that
0: are in Guam because of our connection through the United States? Completely agree. So, so Mary Kate, let's let's um feel free to piggyback on any of those comments there. And I know you and I have talked about the awareness piece uh, going back quite some time. Yes. Um, so feel free to comment on that. And then, of course, we want to you know hear more of what you're seeing and hearing in terms of the um the damage and and a lot of the suffering going on right now.
2: Yes, thank you. And Constantine, just great points. And what Scott, when he says highlight, even for our listeners, we're just finding that a lot of Folks, even our fellow Americans, don't even know that Guam exists. So to know to highlight the U.S. territories that like you even mentioned, Puerto Rico, and, and some of the natural disasters that have impacted them. Um, Guam has been impacted by typhoons, but as you mentioned, Scott, this is the the super typhoon that hit, um, the largest to hit in the last twenty years. Mm. So again, even with Guam, we have the big U.S. Navy base there, uh, and we have the big. U.S. Air Force Base, as well as the Guam Air and Army National Guard that have been activated to support and relief efforts. Uh, so we do recruit a lot into the, our U.S. military from Guam, and it's just such a significant part, of. And, and we are Americans. So to be able to help and highlight what's going on right now, uh, Guam uh, has been with without water, and they've been on limited supply, so even though the water was turned back on, um, they are still limited in rationing out their water supply, but most of the island is still without power, which is greatly impacting our Manamku, which are our elders on island. So um, doing what we can as far as uh, the, those on the ground, collecting supplies and removing debris, um, but especially seeing how we can get back to those who have lost everything, who've lost their homes uh, at this time.
0: Mm. So uh, Mary-Kate, you were sharing a few things pre-show, and I want to, of course, respect uh, you and your family's privacy. But you mentioned um, because that we're waiting for the power grid, to to uh, come all the way back, folks have you know uh, to get air conditioning because of a variety of medical conditions. A lot of folks are sleeping in their cars uh, with yes, you know, having their ACs on. Is that right, Mary Kate?
2: Yes, and and actually, I was just watching a clip um, before we came on live as well that was actually bringing uh, tears to my eyes just because this is very real, very raw right now. But I I do have family that are staying in their vehicles uh, just for the sake of having air conditioning and. Um, there was a like two days straight in a row where I couldn't re- reach some of my family because they had no power and and uh, there was no way to get a hold of them. So to charge their phones, they're in their vehicles. Not everybody has generators and some who do, uh, they're they're broken. So the fact that especially our elderly with our underlying health conditions, having to stay in their vehicles just very, you know, just unacceptable how long it's taking. Also uh, those who are, are doing what they can to support one another.
0: So, Constantine, that is, um, man, it's heartbreaking. Uh, uh, respond to what some of what we're hearing here from Mary-Kate in terms of the conditions there on the ground in Guam. Well,
1: I, I mean, you bring up the, the humanitarian crisis, which is, you know, clear and and, and, and obvious here with, with the situation going on. And how long does that take, considering how far it is from the continental U.S.? I don't know how that works with logistics, with other places, say like Australia or other allies that we have, that's just one thought. Uh, I don't know if you can opine on that, Mary Kate, on understanding how where where are the resources coming from, where how are how how are things coming to help from a first aid standpoint. The other the other is just again because of being a, a part of the United States and how strategic the location is. You and I were talking about this, Scott, a little bit about the fact of how the geopolitics of of the Pacific mm. region has changed so much in recent years of uh, how important it is and how we need to, to, to again, rely on the folks in Guam and, and, and how in the, in the military that's there in supporting our interests strategically, um, yeah. as well. So, I mean, there's so many levels, humanitarian, geopolitical, I'm sure there's numbers of others that I hadn't thought of, but that's why this is really
2: Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And just for our listeners who who don't know, like Guam's probably about the the size of Chicago or even like San Francisco Bay. If you think about the size of it, uh, only about two hundred twelve square miles. So we have a, you know, just over one hundred sixty thousand people. So it's not very big, but in the sense of the the community and that the fact that they're just so resilient, uh, you know, are the people of Guam and what they're doing to come together. Even the mayors are using, you know, pulling money out of their own pockets to be able to support to the mm. There are people to be able to buy water. Um, you know, but we're really looking as far as government and federal help. And, you know, uh, The White House did, and President Biden did put out that proclamation of calling it an emergency. Uh, so we have been getting support. FEMA has been coming out there. I know Team Rubicon is out there as well, as well as the military being activated to support such efforts. Um, but we are closer, Guam is closer to the Philippines and to Southeast Asia than they are. A lot of times we think of Hawaii as our, our touch point um the airlines are bringing in and the port is open again so there is cargo regards coming in that way but again the movement has been very slow and mm. the just basic necessities up and running again has been taking way too long
0: Mary Kate you were just in Guam i want to say maybe 6 8 months ago is that about about right
2: Yeah just this this past year mm-hmm.
0: Yeah um well i'm hoping uh, we're all hoping that uh, we can act more with everyone's interests, right, collective interests, and and get the aid needed and get uh, all the wells for the water back online, the power grid going, Uh, even the technology. As you mentioned, Mary-Kate, a couple days went by and you couldn't connect with your family. The cell phone, all the cell phone infrastructure has got to be reworked and and brought back online. Um, All right, so Mary-Kate, let's talk about what Guam Human Rights Initiative, you all set up a special focused initiative uh, to help with aid. Tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, so we again, uh, we, as we mentioned about the Guam Human Rights Initiative, co-founder Dr. Erica Anderson and I, we're, we're both alumni of the University of Guam, and the University of Guam has put up their Tritons, helping Tritons. And so we are looking to support them, as well as some of the other local organizations and agencies on islands. So we've started a fundraiser campaign for the next uh, 19 days for to raise $1,000. And I'm happy to say that just before we went live, Scott, that we've already raised, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars there. So it's it's really great the amount of, of help we've had just since we just launched this campaign. But if you are able to support uh, the relief efforts, I, I mean, this really hits close to home because we are such a a small island. You t- it, we're not kidding when we say we really do know one another. Uh, you can't go to the the grocery store without running into an auntie or a cousin. Uh, So it's just, you know, again, to be able to come together and support, including, you know, our military families that are on island as well. Uh, So thank you so much, Scott and and Constantine, for, you know, inviting me to join you both today to amplify this.
0: Well, Mary-Kate, absolutely. That's the absolute least we can do is help get the word out. Um, And, you know, folks, we dropped the link to Mary-Kate and Dr. uh, Dr. Anderson, right?
2: Dr. Anderson, Yes. My, my best friend, we actually met in grad school, but again, it just, uh, it just kind of a little bit fun, a separate story of how we met, but again, just the fact she just recently finished her PhD and, um, you know, we're just aligning in forces and giving back to our fellow Tritons and, uh, the people of Guam. So thank you again. And this is to supplies, like they're, they're in need of even, like I said, without the power, just in need of, of flashlights, um, even the shelters, you know, of clothing of course, the, the food, like I said, without the power, a lot of the food has been going bad. Uh, the water, um, needing those cases of water as well. So we're just, you know, supporting financially as we can those of us who are off island. And because we, we don't want to be asking those on island, they're already spread thin with resources and funding. So we have to, we are turning to those in the U.S. mainland and those abroad to be able to support the people of Guam.
0: Well, I, really, as always, uh, you've got an incredible track record of servant leadership with results and outcomes. Hey, before you depart, so Constantine, I think you and Mary Kate both may know uh, Sylvia Judy, one of our faves around here. Talk about servant leadership and folks that get things done, especially for others. So, Mary Kate, half
2: a half a day,
0: half a day, half a day. Okay, is that uh, what what does that uh, translate to?
2: It just, it's like you say, it saying hello, hello, or aloha, like in Hawaii, a lot of folks okay. say aloha, but half a day, Sylvia. And it's just, <laughs> we're great with, um, with half a day, because I actually had a, a general tell me recently, he said, I went to Guam once, and someone said half a day to me, and he said, no, I'm going to work a full day. <laughs> That's the oldest book in the book, but uh, it's so funny, Um, you know, again, the spirit of Guam.
0: Well, uh, Mary-Kate <laughs> Saliva with the Guam Human Rights Initiative. Uh really ad- admire all that you do Want to get the word out. Folks, uh, you can also connect. If you're not connected and if you're not following Mary-Kate, special LinkedIn, some of the best content you, you're going to uh, come across. Be sure to do that. And, of course, Veteran Voices. I think we're close to wrapping up our fourth season, Mary-Kate. Yeah. Holy cow.
2: It's going to be fast. But incredible. again, just to be able to amplify the voices of veterans serving beyond the uniform with veteran voices. I was on active duty. I realized, Scott, I hit my 14 year mark. Can't believe it. Um, but I'm still serving in the reserves now. But again, just the the people of Guam that have served. We've had soldiers from Guam who have had been killed in action. We've had soldiers who have fought in combat, combat veterans still living in Guam. So again, this is so much greater than just like this typhoon, but to be able to recognize Guam exists, that we are part of the American people and uh, we've proudly served. So again, just support the support the the people of Guam in our campaign. Mm. But thank you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Mary Kate Saliva with uh, GHRI. And uh, y'all check out the uh, Super Typhoon Mawar Relief. Uh, Mary-Kate, we'll see you again real soon.
2: Take care, is Thank you.
0: Constantine, uh, i tell you, Mary-Kate is a very a special leader. But in these cases, you just want to reach out and fix stuff. You know yeah. what I
1: mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's folks like her, you have so much respect for you know the dedication, and then now when they're saying, hey, we are, we're in a time of need, uh, raising awareness, right? And it's an education. I think it's just understanding what we're paying attention to and what we value is important. Yeah. And I it's great, it's amazing what she's been able to accomplish.
0: It is. It is remarkable. And you know, Guam's interests are our interests. And we've got to um got to fix stuff over there and fix it faster to Mary Kate's uh, point. And Sylvia and, and Sylvia, I hope I'm looking forward to connecting with you soon. So Constantine Sylvia, I believe, if she's not already there, she'll be there soon, is uh gonna be back in Germany. And, uh, and Sylvia, if I'm letting the cat out of the bag, my apologies, but um, uh, her father has spent, uh, I think, his entire career in the ocean freight industry. Okay. And so we're going to get together with Sylvia and her father and hopefully share some stories from, I mean, if he hadn't written a book, he needs to. I bet he has got uh, lots and lots of stories. So Sylvia, safe travels if you're in transit. I look forward to reconnecting soon. Um, okay. Constantine, we have got, uh, we we'll give you a ch- anything else you want to add before we shift gears and talk about something that is, um, not nearly as important. Any of your final thoughts around uh, what's going on in Guam and, and what folks got to do to help recover?
1: I, I, I wish I did. I, I think part of me is just to also just get more educated, uh, across, I guess, all the territories including Guam and just knowing what we, you know, how do we help? How do, how do we get involved? And, um, you know, I I think it's just a great opportunity and using your platform
0: to do this. Agreed. So folks, check out uh, the Guam Human Rights Initiative uh, Special Initiative um, Special Project for uh, Super Typhoon mawar Relief. Uh, you'll be uh, better off when you when you do. Um, all right. So switching gears on a much much lighter note, I want to bring this graphic in because we're going to be talking about automation. You're on the front end, Constantine. Uh, the, the stories really come together nicely because we were talking about the need for uh, automating on the front end. And so this, that really teased this story up here. So uh, Neat Read from CNBC, they interviewed Jeff Bernstein. I think I've got that right. Mm-hmm. President of the Association for Advancing Automation. Now, he might <laughs> he might have certain allegiances there, uh, but they asked him his thoughts on what sectors automation might tackle next. So, Jeff said his picks were three of them agriculture, food processing, and healthcare. Now, he points to a couple examples. Now, this will make my father in law, Fred McKiff, uh, very happy. In agriculture, Deere and Company, you know, maker of the big brand, successful uh, industry leader, John Deere Tractors. Well, they're already developing an autonomous tractor. Constantine, how about that? So, we may see just like that image we're looking at a tractor moving and, and, doing stuff, what you know, tilling stuff, whatever, uh, with with no no one uh, at the wheel. Yeah. In food processing, we spoke some two years ago about how Tyson Foods was investing over a billion dollars in new automation technologies. Many other players in that industry are. Now, Tyson has 50, at this time, 50 fully automated lines right now for deboning check-ins. And the interesting thing about that, uh, Dino, and get your take here, is I've known for a long time. I've had some folks in that uh, in that industry, and they all talked about just how dangerous it is. Right, uh, so a lot of this automation is helping to uh, make some of the work safer, including for the folks that that, regardless of automation, that would still be a part of it, and the yields uh, increasing, you know, uh, yielding more good meat that is used and sold, and you name it. But your your thoughts, uh, Constantine, on what we're seeing from a what's next for automation standpoint?
1: Well, on the, on the farming front, um, I got a little bit of education about farming. Uh, I was watching the show on prime, uh, Amazon prime with Clarkson's farm. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeremy Clarkson, the guy who's famous for, uh, uh for the British automation show that he got, he got kicked off of. He was talking about, um, uh, Top Gear was the show.
0: Top Gear. Uh,
1: he created he created another show on Amazon Prime, but he, he he went off and created his own farm, and the education around that is how expensive and how how much it can cost to run a farm, and you know where that where the profit margins are and what you need to do to maintain that. And I don't know if this is the agribusiness aspect or even it's the personal and how this automation can even help the individual farmer, but it, it's just amazing where. How can we create these efficiencies to create these higher yields, especially as with fruit, food production becoming such a critical thing, doing it more efficiently, doing it more effectively, um, and using autonomous vehicles for that to me is is, is 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 a great opportunity, and it helps the farmer, I think in in the far, in the farms to be able to be more effective at what they're doing so that yep. that farm part of it is is cool. and yep. that, the food the food piece. What was interesting in reading the article is they were talking about, I didn't even think about this, but when you're in the line, people that might have food allergies that are working the line or sneezing or Mm. like that, you think (laughs) about the health of the person working, where does that all kind of fall in? And this autonomous piece might be there. And also it's just, I I can't imagine like what it would smell like in those things. I mean, Mm. some of those dynamics uh, just takes away from humans to have to. Interact with that and have them have other types of jobs that are like more value add, I guess.
0: Yeah. Good well, stuff. plus the shifts that's going on out there in, in the workforce, right? Folks that uh, where we were even five years ago, 10 years ago, more and more uh, from the active generations that uh, you know companies are, are building a workforce around. They don't want to do a lot of that stuff more and more. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it grows a little bit every day. Let me bring in uh, Greg. Greg, great to have you here. I think he is in, one of his ventures is in the agriculture space. Greg says they are developing a farm implement that will map out a field of crop plants and then spot fertilize the plant and laser blast the weeds. Man, that is cool. That reminds me, um, I'm going to pull this image back up, uh, this driverless tractor. Yes, you know, so peaches, you know, Georgia's it, Georgia has become synonymous for the peach industry, right? Constantine, do you when you think of peaches, do you think of Georgia?
1: Well, when you're driving through Atlanta, every other street's peach tree.
0: Peaches. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh did you know that South Carolina actually produces more peaches than the state of Georgia, right? I did not know and, that. And I need to look at probably uh, the 2022 figures, but as of like 2020, 2021, but you know, they've got, I think it's for the peach industry. Otherwise all that setup goes for naught. but they've got those machines (laughs) these days that carefully will grab the tree. And I I know it's being used in in, in other nut industries and it shakes. So a lot of the fruit will fall down and it's easier to, um, it's easier to gather, right? For the workforce. So, um, that that's probably been around for decades, but, that one of my first thoughts. And thank you, Sylvia, to my rescue. South Carolina has more peaches. There thank you, you. Uh, it's official now. Um, Sylvia has audited my claims and it is official. South Carolina produces more peaches. But Constantine, it's it's, you know, based on it's, it's kind of like going back to the battery deal, right? Nice. We know demand is gonna be at least six, six X, you know, from now until 2030. So companies obviously are gonna find a way to address it, right? Make money. Run their operation. Similar challenge with workforces, right? We under we know it's getting tougher and tougher to uh, find folks to do some of these tasks that that um, they don't want to do anymore. So naturally, companies are going to find a way using automation and other ways that the business will evolve to address that gap. Um, your final thoughts here around the ongoing tidal wave? It's only getting bigger. Uh, automation. automation. Well, yeah. one of the the third part we didn't talk about what I do oh, healthcare. Yeah, yeah.
1: The healthcare is I saw an interesting aspect. There was there was a call out of one of the companies, that I think it was called Athon, a robotics company. And and what they're doing is they're implementing, they're using the robots to then deliver uh the you know, through the through the through the delivery system in the logistics of having it, you know, whatever the, the medicines or there's other aspects of going to different parts of the hospital, maybe where it needs to be secured or more sanitary. And then I think this company's also doing this. in, I think in the, uh, in the, in the industry around the hoteling industry where they're yep. delivering like towels and things like that. But as it relates to healthcare, I think that's just phenomenal, especially if you're going to be dealing with hazardous materials. Um, and again, it all goes back to the labor shortage. You know, we have a shortage of nurses. We have a shortage of technicians, um, this is a great way to do it, and when I was looking at the machines that they use, it reminded me of my visit to Purdue at West La- in West Lafayette, where okay. we saw these things moving around delivering pizza. Well, I <laughs> very similar concept, right? I mean, you hear about this, but this is at that level where we're now seeing this in the healthcare industry, and this this has so many use cases that it's just phenomenal to see that this is this is kind of being applied now in the hospital settings or other healthcare areas.
0: So I agree with you. I, of course, the healthcare industry will be an interesting one to see how they uh, embrace, especially the robotics thing that, that portion of the article for me, just for my brain, I'm a little bit slower than you are uh, Dino, <laughs> but I didn't see as much of a, like an instant, easy to understand practical example. Um, but there will be undoubtedly, but going back to that pizza delivery, let me just tell you, and the gluten household, maybe like your household, Limber household, we're big fans of pizza, yeah. Right? Big fans of pizza, but let's make any bots that are delivering pizza. Let's make them very friendly looking, because some of those bots <laughs> I've seen, you're not going to want to open the door, <laughs> you know. Especially if it's not a drop, like was so prevalent during during COVID, right, folks dropped on your on your porch and then they were out. Maybe. You know, they can keep them mean looking if that's what they're going to do, but I am not opening a door to some of those things that are delivering pizzas right now. What about, have you seen some of these, I mean, I, I mean, like, it look like they got blades, they're like eight feet tall, uh, that they, they don't have nice face features. I mean, it, it's terrifying. Are you trying to
1: anthropomize, anthropomize the, the robot? Is that what you're trying to yeah. do? Yes. <laughs> I have not. I've never had. I've never ordered it via that. I, again, I only saw that from the distance, and my nephew pointed that out. He's like, "Hey, listen." He's like, "Uncle." He's like, "He calls me." He calls me Dino. And he goes, "Uncle Dino." He goes, "Look, that that's a that that's a, that's a pizza." I'm like, "And you see these things rolling around?" I just thought it was fascinating. I, I don't. I haven't encountered that yet. Mm. Maybe it's the drones too with the drone pizza. I don't know. Uh,
0: it might be. It might be. Well, any any robot, you know, full blown humanoid looking robot just delivering pizza to our front doors. We got to, we got to give them like a teddy boy, teddy bear costume or something. And then, Hey, all day long. Thank you very much. Nice tip. And we'll be on our way.
1: Let's just not make it look too creepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no clowns, no clowns. Constantine. No clowns.
1: Uh,
0: all right. Sure. All right. All right. This has been a lot of fun. A lot of fun on the new side, On you know, on the series side, man, again, yeah. folks, y'all I tell you, if, if you're not in position, this will be my, my challenge to our listening audience, wherever they are. Constantine is, Hey, if you're not in position to find a way to help, whether it's via Mary Kate's, uh, humanitarian, you know, really stand up overnight uh, project, which I admire so much uh, true bias for action. And there's, there's others, right? Uh, American logistics aid network also comes to mind. A nonprofit doing great work, including support um, uh, hurricanes and storms everywhere. But Constantine, I think the, the, the thing I'm glad came up today is a lack of awareness for what's going on in Guam and the need and, and uh, the, the recovery as Mary Kate puts it, it needs to happen faster. So even if you can't donate or anything, just get more informed, seek out that news, seek out um, what's going on there and what needs to happen. Uh, Constantine, your thoughts here before we wrap.
1: Yeah. um, Again, as I, I mentioned earlier on, on, on the show, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to leverage channels like this. And we talked about social media. I mean, that's it. it's a new way of getting the stories out and, you know, we're not relying on traditional means to do it. So I think it's fantastic that you're able to use this as a way to get the story
0: out. Agreed. So y'all check that out. The link one click away there. Uh, make sure you connect with uh, Mary Kate Saliva and the Guam Human Rights Initiative and uh, Veteran Voices Programming, which I think we're going to share that link. But hey, Constantine, beyond all of that, how can folks connect with you and all the cool things you're up to? Well, I guess it's
1: the LinkedIn. So, you know, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Some of the things I like to post out there, some of the articles, uh, always open for conversation and thoughts on innovation and what's happening in, in supply chains uh, and procurement, and always happy to have a conversation.
0: We are too. I enjoy those conversations. Uh, so big thanks to, first off, big thanks to Mary-Kate Saliva for joining us on, almost on a whim uh, especially as busy as as uh, she and and all the stuff going on there. So big thanks to Mary Kate Sleva. Big thanks to Constantine Limbarakis for filling in for Greg White here today. Always a pleasure, do you know? Pleasure as well as on my side too. And folks, thank you, you know, everyone for showing up and dropping comments from Jose to. Uh, Sylvia, Greg, uh, Jacob, you name it. Always enjoy that component of our supply chain buzz live streams. You can find us every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. And if you're listening to this, hey, come check us out real time and bring your POV with you. So on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, hey, challenging you. Scott Luton, the whole team here challenging, you. hey, put the need, put it in a headlock and do something with it. You know, it's about deeds, not words. Help others out, do good